used to write letters to stay in touch, to share our thoughts. The sender and receiver were known by name and linked by ink on a page. When you got mail, you received something personal, memorable, and timely. When you got mail, you read it, you kept it, you shared it with others. When you got mail, you got physical evidence, signed and stamped, that someone cares. The best of these letters have been preserved in our Bibles. We're about to read three of them. Galatians, Philippians, and Philemon. Community of Hope, Leesburg Grace, W.L. Grace, you've got mail. It is so good to be with you all here this morning. And uh, assuming that most of you have been here the last couple of weeks, you know that, uh, that we're doing a pastor swap. I'd first of all, I'd like to just uh, say thank you for your gracious hospitality. I've been in this area for almost 25 years. I know many of you by name. I had some of you in class at Grace College and uh, many of you have served me so faithfully uh, in Columbia City, helping me do what I do. I'd like to say thanks for my son Hudson for coming, and, uh, and I'd like to also say thank you. Uh, by the way, Mindy Bloomfield uh, hails from Community of Hope. You're welcome. <laughs> Josh Petchen did a two-year residency at Community of Hope. You're welcome yet again. And this morning, I'm going to take a play out of the playbook of Brent Sandy, and I'm going to demonstrate and illustrate to you in a, maybe a different way than you've seen before, that in the earliest church, for a very long time, people would have actually heard the Word of God primarily, not read it. And we're going to model that for you here this morning. This pastor swap has been years in the making. We wanted it to uh, represent collaboration within our fellowship of churches, within the Karis Fellowship, and uh, we wanted it to be a refreshing change of pace for our congregation. So thank you for indulging us in our uh, experiment. Uh, now here's our task. Kip and uh, Tim and myself, we are mail carriers, letter carriers, sent by the Apostle Paul to churches in the Roman world this morning. As I said, I'm going to do that literally here this morning. You see, many of the books in the New Testament, as you probably know, were letters, and most of them were written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to talk this morning, and I hope to illustrate why indirectly so many churches split, why denominations proliferate for all the wrong reasons, and why even within my own lifetime, our own fellowship of churches, the formerly known as the Fellowship of Grace Brothers and Churches, why we split it's why many people in America hate Christianity. Not because they hate Jesus. No, 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 no. It's because Christians cannot get along with each other. And I'm going to demonstrate this morning that reconciliation with God cannot be severed from our relationships within the church. Paul, as we're going to see this morning, was willing to put his entire ministry, even a friendship in one particular church, on the line by making an awkward conflict a public affair in the church. And so I want us to, to reimagine a worship service this morning. It's the first century Roman world, and we are meeting in a home. And I'm going to reconstruct evidence from you given in the New Testament to suppose that Paul was in prison in nearby Ephesus, and you are the church at Colossae. And we're meeting in the home of a man named Philemon. My name is Tychicus. I am a companion of the Apostle Paul. I am delivering to you this morning not one but two letters. And as my caravan arrived, you would have seen a familiar face that you had not seen for a while. And there would have been whispers among you as you would have seen this man come with me. And you would have said, that's Onesimus. 
Where has he been? Why is he here? And what is Philemon going to say when he comes back from the market? And you would have thought the, the suspense would have been building. Paul had never been here in Colossae, but he met Philemon presumably in Ephesus where Philemon came to faith in Jesus there. And Philemon, he'll be back soon, and when he does, I'll read the letters to you. But as you can see on the map there in front of you, uh, there uh, in the upper right-hand portion there, that's uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And in the ancient world, that was Galatia. And you can see on that map where Colossae was inland. And Ephesus was uh, just uh, west of there on the port there, uh, close to the sea there. And they were about 80 miles apart. Onesimus is the personal property of Philemon, it is true. Roman law allows for such an arrangement of slavery. It was part and parcel of society, even within the church. And as you can see, Onesimus made the journey with me. He managed to find Paul in prison in Ephesus. And you ask, well, how in the world would he have known that? Because he heard of Philemon talking about the apostle Paul, and he figured out where to find him when he ran away. And you know that Roman law permits swift punishment against Onesimus in order to bring order in society because we cannot let slaves think they can just run away and get away with it. Well, what Philemon does with Onesimus from here on out, that's going to be up to him. Oh, hello, dear sir. Philemon, I send greetings from the Apostle Paul. Now that you are here, I can get started reading the letters signed, sealed, and delivered to this dear church at Colossae. Now, I will read the first letter in its entirety to you. I've been given permission to comment on portions of the letter, which may be unclear to you at first. And then I also have a personal letter to read next that I'll do, but, I, but you're all going to hear that one as well. But first things first, here I read the letter from the Apostle Paul to you, dear church at Colossae. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Now, I don't want to get a hold of myself in, or ahead of myself in the letter, but Paul is going to tell you later that Epaphras is on his knees for you constantly. You all know Epaphras, how much he loves you, and he's a faithful prayer warrior. Paul's going to say, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully. The good news about Jesus is spreading throughout the Roman world. Pagans are turning from their idols and false beliefs and turning to faith in the living God, just as you did when you heard about Jesus. But Epaphras is not the only one who's constantly praying for you all. As I read on in Paul's letter, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now I've heard Paul pray for you all with intense passion. He longs to see you become mature in Christ, working out how the gospel ought to transform you from the inside out. This is not a theoretical exercise. This salvation you've received is not just freedom from eternal damnation in hell. No, it works its way into the nooks and crannies of your daily lives. I read on, the Son, you know, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus brings peace to a world of broken relationships. Yes, perfect peace is going to have to wait until King Jesus returns, but God is making peace between human and sinful Uh, earth by the blood of Jesus. Jesus, as we sang just a few minutes ago, he absorbed the wrath of God and the rebellion of mankind, putting them on his shoulders on the cross, making the once and for all atoning sacrifice as the perfect Passover lamb. He has done those things, and so now peace is possible between God and man because of Jesus. But we read on. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I get chills in my spine every time I think about standing in the presence of God, knowing my own rebellious heart, knowing the things that I've done, the things that I have said, perhaps worst of all, the things that I have thought, and yet to think, I was once an enemy of God, but now, because of Jesus, I am cleansed. You see, there is no offense that anyone 
has ever committed against me that is more painful, more severe, and more costly than my own sin against God. I now skip a couple of sentences in Paul's letter for you, and I pick up reading, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those down the road at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of Christ, of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I hope you don't miss what Paul's saying here. To understand this mystery of Christ that God put on skin in the form of Jesus so that he, we can be reconciled through Christ's humiliating, painful death, what that produces is encouragement in our hearts and a spirit of unity among us. Yet you know how beautiful unity sounds and how difficult it is to execute. Paul is willing to get in the fray with you in order that you will see how the gospel of reconciliation with God works its way into your relationships with one another. Now I want to skip ahead for a moment to later in Paul's letter to call your attention to this new way of thinking that the gospel of reconciliation produces in us. You see, if Jesus really did die to atone for our sins, if he really did rise from the dead, then our mental disposition ought to reflect Christ. And so Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Yes, you should do your quiet time with God. But there's more. In this family, how we treat each other is radically different, too. Paul goes on to say, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, in this family, there is no Gentile or Jew. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You see, in Christ, you're all on an equal playing field. You're all equally loved by God. You're all equally forgiven by God. You are all equally brothers and sisters. That means that the thirst for power that exists out there in society ought not be evidenced among you. Well, what does that look like more specifically then? Paul goes on to say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all 
these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's that word again, unity. What's the outcome of putting all of these virtues on my clothing? The outcome is unity. You see, in this church, you cannot have unity if one of you is holding a grudge against someone else. You cannot have unity if one of you is unwilling to forgive another. You cannot have unity if one of you believes yourself more important than another in this church family. If one of you believes that you're more deserving of God's grace or conversely, someone else is not as deserving of God's grace. You cannot have unity if one of you thinks you are more valuable in this church than any other brother or sister. And Paul goes on. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, just as we just did minutes ago. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul does not say that it is okay to tear down another person in the church if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are right and they are wrong. You may not tear down another person or hold a grudge if someone else has hurt you deeply. You may not think negatively about another person if you are smarter, if you know more about the Bible. If you've been a part of this church longer, or even especially if other people confirm that you were the one who was wronged, Paul simply tells you, you were called to peace, period. Next, Paul will address your households, so listen to your cue depending on your station in life. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But husbands, listen next. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Hudson, did you hear that? Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Got that? In our homes, we treat each other as Jesus treated people. We don't demand to be treated well by others. We simply treat one another well. Paul has an extended instruction for the other people in the household here as well. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Got that, slaves? You work for the Lord and you serve him above all. Whether your earthly master deserves it or not, you give him what is due or punishment will follow. Any questions? 
And let's not forget what Paul says next. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. We dare not overlook the responsibility that you slave owners have to those in your care. It doesn't matter what Roman law allows you to do to your slaves. You all know how unfair and awkward this power differential is between slaves and freemen. Slaves, you feel powerless, used, and inferior. Masters, you feel disrespected, disappointed, and deprived at times. But in case Paul wasn't clear, unity matters more than your position or your personal feelings about others in the church. Paul goes on, and I jump to the, near the closing of this letter to the Colossians. Paul says, Tychicus, that, that's me, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Paul is so kind in his words. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. And I want you to know that when Paul calls Onesimus our faithful and dear brother, he is speaking from the heart. Onesimus sought Paul out and as a result has come to faith in Christ and we rejoice at this. He has served Paul faithfully in prison. He is a changed man. I confess in this home, I, I don't know what happened when Onesimus lived in this home. He ran away, violating Roman law indeed. He has returned, and now this church has the opportunity to put the gospel of reconciliation into practice in front of a watching world. Yet the gospel changes the way we deal with conflict. Even though Philemon, you were rightfully angry and you suffered financially because he ran away, Paul's desire is that this church be different God has called his church to unity and there can be no unity without us taking seriously the truth I read earlier where we read here in this home and in this church in Colossae there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, don't miss these words slave or free but Christ is all and is in all. I've now been instructed to read another personal letter from Paul. This one is specifically addressed to Philemon, but Paul would like you all to hear this. Now, Onesimus and Philemon, would you come down and sit in the front row? Thank you. But you all should bear witness to what Paul wants to say to, to Philemon. You all know the situation anyway, and you are all part of the body of Christ called to unity, and you'll play a part in reconciliation. Now here I read Paul's letter to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, there she is, and, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, there he is, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. 
because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Brother Philemon, you have a decision to make. What will you do with Onesimus? He rebelled, he hurt you, he has cost you financially. He has broken your trust. He has embarrassed you in front of your peers and in your whole household and in front of this whole church. He has surely caused division in your household. Roman law allows you to assert your power and authority and to make him suffer. Yet Onesimus has found hope in Christ. He has become an incredible asset to Paul in prison. Here he is. Do with him as you wish, but remember to treat him as you would treat Paul. Whatever penalty Onesimus has coming to him, allow Paul to pay it instead of him. Because he is not a slave to you any longer. He's a brother. As you grow in your understanding of the reconciliation that you have been given by God through faith 
in Jesus' brother Philemon, so it is fitting for you to initiate reconciliation with Onesimus, not as his master, but as his brother in Christ. Philemon, your household is watching. This church is watching. And yes, the world is watching. I wonder if there's any other conflict in this church that needs to be resolved, whereby we need to remember the reconciliation that we have received from God. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. It was a gift from God. And we owe it reconciled to resolve our conflicts to extend forgiveness to one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us what has anyone ever done to you that was more painful more cruel more costly to you than your sin against God. Your sin cost Jesus his life. So if you have conflict with someone in this church, will you make it right so we can become unified, so we can become mature, so that we can become reconciled brothers and sisters? As I've said, reconciliation with God cannot be severed from our relationships within the church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. We stand in awe of this season of thanksgiving and we are reminded that we did not deserve what you have given to us in Christ it is so easy for us to receive forgiveness. It is so hard to extend it to others. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts and give us the mind of Christ. Lord, I pray you would give us the courage to initiate reconciliation, to do the painful, hard things at times, to do whatever it takes to become mature in Christ, to have unity in Christ and to show a watching world what reconciliation is all about. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus, the crucified Savior and risen Lord who promised to come back again someday. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now at Community of Hope we end this year with a benediction, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It's the closing of Paul's beautiful prayer, and I'll close with that. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all God's people said, W.L. Grace, you are sent.